Now more with Sandy Clough and Sean Drotar. Presented by Burnham Law. Hire the winner at BurnhamLaw.com. This is Sandy and Sean on Mile High Sports. Always happy to uh, chop it up, as they say, with our next guest. He is the lead Nuggets analyst for Mile High Sports and the host of the Pickaxe and Roll podcast, which you can find on Mile High Sports and on YouTube. The uh, one and only Ryan Blackburn. NBA Blackburn is the Twitter handle. And uh, Ryan, thank you for joining us. Obviously, we're in the thick of the summer league. You had a new pickaxe and roll and uh, a story today over at Mile High Sports about uh, ranking the other title contenders post-free agency uh, without spoiling too much of your work. uh, How much, I I don't think it'd be hard, it's not hard to guess that the Nuggets did not get better, but how much worse did they get in comparison to some of their rivals in the West? It's hard to tell, Sandy. Thanks for, or Sandy and Sean, thanks for having me on. Sorry. Um, No, I really do appreciate it, of course. And I think Nuggets fans in general are a little bit worried about Bruce Brown being gone now that, now he's signed in Indiana that there's going to be at least a little bit of a, a letdown from the bench. But the problem that you really run into when thinking about the numbers and thinking about the regular season from this past year is that the bench was horrible anyway. So it, it's hard to tell just how much worse Denver got in the regular season, if at all. Like I, I think that guys in the starting lineup that will stagger more consistently like Jamal Murray and Michael Porter and maybe even Aaron Gordon, those guys will be better in this upcoming regular season, I think. Uh, but the real question is the playoffs and, and what Bruce Brown brings is of course invaluable for that versatility and that aggressiveness and that confidence that he always brings to the table. So I think it's marginally worse. I don't think it's better for sure, but I don't think they stayed the same. And I, I think they're a slightly worse team with, with certainly a lot more uncertainty uh, heading into this next season. Have we seen enough from the likes of Tyson, Strother, Pickett, and Gillespie to make a judgment on any of them, all of them, in terms of one, making the team, and two, maybe for 10 to 15 minutes a game, having some kind of impact? Uh, quick and simply, no. I, I think <laughs> Good. That, uh, <laughs> I'm glad you said that. Yeah, uh, it's, uh, I... I did, well, I've watched all the summer league games. I've watched everything that Denver's put out there so far. And to say it's been a little bit of a disappointment as a, as a team perspective is, is kind of an understatement, I would say. Uh, I do think that the young rookies, Julian Strother, yeah. Hunter Tyson, Jalen Pickett, I think yeah. they've had bright moments. Right, they've been okay. Tyson. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's, that's what you're hoping for. But I've also watched them, and I've also seen pretty glaring weaknesses at various points. I think Hunter Tyson's athleticism at the NBA level across 82 games is probably going to be a, look a little bit different than a summer league environment. I think that uh, Jalen Pickett's size when he gets switched onto a bunch of taller people right. and, and he's having to guard up and down the lineups at the NBA level is going to look a little bit different. And then uh, Julian Strother, he's, he's barely made any shots so far. And that's, that's really his calling card heading into the NBA. So that, that is, it's quite clearly hit or miss with him. I don't think that Denver drafted any rotation players for this season. I think they drafted them with the intention that if guys get hurt, if guys get injured, then they can step into a brief role. But if you had to ask me, are these guys going to be in the rotation in a playoff environment for this upcoming season? The answer is definitely no. I raised the question earlier today because I I understand that it's very difficult to evaluate in that summer league situation because of the, the talent that you're facing and the timing of your time in your career. But 
I look at some of these skills that are gone when you lose both Jeff Green and uh, Bruce Bowen. And one of the things that shocks me, I guess, is you look at the, the vacuum in rebounding. And the Nuggets were a good rebounding team. But when you're talking about behind Nikola Jokic, there really isn't a significant uh, rebounding, sort of double-digit rebounding ability. And I know that that matters maybe less than it used to. But I look at Hunter Tyson last night, who basically was the de facto big man, came away with 12 rebounds. And I wonder if that, when you're looking at, say, a Zeke Naji and a Vlatko Chanchar, might be a spot where one of these rookies, and maybe even Tyson in particular, the, 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 the third of the three draft picks, might have an opportunity to jump into the rotation, or if not the rotation, at least carve out some minutes quicker than anybody else thinks. How secure do you feel Naji and Chanchar are? And, and if so, what have you seen from them that makes you think so? Oh, they're, they're definitely not secure. That, that I think, is a, a very important piece of this, is that Calvin Booth, he brought in these guys to compete and to push and to continue to try to expand their careers and with the intention of eventually playing them. Uh, Blacko, I think, has a one-year deal with a team option on he the does. end of it. Zeke Naji has a one-year deal and then is a uh, restricted free agent. That's they could right. potentially extend him if they wanted to, but I, I don't see any reason why they would or why he would want to extend with the Nuggets based off of the role that he's played here so far. So in my mind, I, I think that it's going to be very interesting to see what the camp battles look like, what Hunter Tyson and, and Jalen Pickett and guys like that can do to push a Vlacko and a Zeke or, or in, Tyson, in a Pickett's case, somebody like a Reggie Jackson. Uh, just knowing that those veterans will get first crack at it, there's no doubt. But I'm not expecting this bench to be any good. I don't know if you guys are. I think that uh, the way that Denver has built this thing out, their starters are going to be great, but that bench is going to be probably a whirling dervish of pretty bad play for at least 60 games with the hope that you eventually figure some stuff out before the playoffs. Do you see any danger from anyone else in the West being able to exploit that bench weakness, because um, that bench weakness was there for a large part of this year, too. Oh, yeah. And it's one of the, one of the things that I, I wanted to make sure to pay attention to. Uh, last year, when Nikola Jokic was not on the floor during the regular season, the Nuggets had a minus 10.7 net rating, which is aggressively bad. Yes. Um, and so that, that didn't stop them from getting the one seed, though. It didn't stop them from... Uh, basically coasting in for the rest of the regular season by the time March 5th rolled around. And I think that's based off of what some of these other teams have done, I don't see them as juggernauts. I, I don't see the Suns being like, they might be healthy enough to really push in the regular season. Like they've got enough top end talent that it's going to be hard for teams in the regular season to go ahead and stop Kevin Durant's Evan Booker and Bradley Beal at the same time during the regular season. They just, are not really game planning for that. So I think that that team is one to watch out for at the top of the West. I think that the Los Angeles Lakers, now that they look a little bit more stable, could be at the top of the West, but they have to stay healthy in order to do that. And I just went through it on the podcast last night. Anthony Davis has barely played in these last four years that he's been with the Lakers. And the, the most he's played was the championship season now, four years ago. 134 so, games, something like that. Exactly. Like, I mean, that's, that's a lot. And then to say that like you're going to have to be a great, healthy team 
in order to outpace Denver because, knock on wood, uh, Nikola Jokic has done a great job of staying healthy throughout his career, and I, I don't see why that would change, even if Denver's trying to rest him a little bit more frequently as he ages into his prime. I, I, I want to hone in because I completely agree with everything you said, but in terms of exploiting the, the weakness on the bench, I know some have written, uh, and, and as you've just indicated, uh, there are concerns about the nugget bench, but at the same time, some of those people have written, wow, the Suns did pretty well for not having a lot of money and they didn't go after 35 and older guys just for a year or so. I mean, they brought in some guys late twenties, uh, who look like they might be pretty good. And, I'm I'm a little skeptical of that. And I guess that's what prompted the question. I'm not sure the nugget bench is appreciably worse than the Laker bench, than the Phoenix bench, than the Golden State bench. Uh, who am I missing? The Memphis bench. Uh, that that sort of thing. And if if they are better, I'll be glad to admit I was wrong, but I have to see it to believe it. Uh, you know, there are a few teams like San Antonio. When they get rid of players, that to me signals that the player can't because <laughs> yeah, if he can't play for San Antonio and he's in his 20s and he can't be part of San Antonio's rotation, San Antonio's had a bad a team record talent, the last right? few yeah. years, but they usually don't misjudge talent all that badly. No, I, I, I think back to Jonathan Simmons, who signed in a contract with the Orlando Magic back in the day. He was playing a great bench role for the San Antonio Spurs, and they had some criticisms for just letting Jonathan Simmons walk away. And as it turns out, the Spurs were right because that's just what the Spurs do. Uh, I think the Nuggets are pretty emblematic of that and a pretty good representation of that is Jeff Green. There's been a lot of people, especially nationally, who have been crediting Jeff Green for the work he did with Denver. But that was off the court. It was off the court. Contribution on the court has been overrated by the national people, hasn't it? Absolutely. That's exactly where I'm getting to, where uh, they just they believe that his loss is actually going to affect Denver from a win loss standpoint. Yeah. When I'm, I'm here thinking, okay, Christian Brown probably... surpassed him in minutes in the finals by the end of oh, the yeah. finals. I mean, I think the How about game was on five, the he played three right. times as many minutes. Right. Uh, yeah, I think they that's had... overblown you absolutely could have gotten the same level of production during the regular season from Blacko Chanchar or Zeke Nashi in that spot. Uh, like there's just, I, there's zero doubt. That sounds mind. harsh, but I, I think that's right. Well, I, yeah, I, I'm I don't, surprised I don't you even think, think that, that sounds harsh, harsh Sandy, <laughs> to be honest. No, but It's just like, this is, this is what happens when you're a 10th, 11th or 12th man in a rotation. Like that's just, that is how this thing goes. If you can't replace those guys by using internal development or, uh, making making a small move at the at the trade deadline or something like that, which Denver is more set up to do this year than they were last year, uh, then I think that there's there's no doubt that Denver can fill in those gaps. I have very little doubts that uh, their their starting lineup is going to continue to be great, and how their bench progresses is going to develop. It's it's going to be based off of three guys: it's Christian Brown, it's Peyton Watson, and it's Zeke Nagy. In my opinion, those guys are in between 20 and 22 years old. And like they're just going to get better. There's no doubt in my mind that they will get better. And if they don't, then Denver will go a different direction. You did not mention Reggie Jackson in that regard. Reggie Jackson signed to the two-year mid-level exception, two years, $10 million. Wasn't able to really make an impact with the Nuggets during the season when he was added. Uh, that retaining Reggie Jackson 
not a shocking move for me. Retaining him at that contract, rather shocking, especially given the fact that, that, that then Calvin Booth Bruce Brown. adds uh, Jalen Pickett and then also mentions correctly, immediately after the draft, Connor, Colin Gillespie. So you have guys in Pickett and Gillespie, and I know you don't necessarily want to go to, to rookies and, and a guy that would essentially be the rookie, but it seems like that was a hefty price to pay for a guy that on your team, who you wanted to play a bigger role, wasn't able to do it. What's the, the genesis behind that decision? I, I think that the the belief in Reggie Jackson is, is held a lot more strongly within the front office and the coaching staff than the belief within the fan base. He is somebody who oh. proves behind the scenes that he's willing to do what it takes to win, even if that means not playing. And I think that he's still got something left in the tank and that coming into the Nuggets during the during the regular season, during the middle of the season, where they've got championship expectations and they know how to play, and it's a, it was a pretty big culture shock for him to go from the Clippers to the Nuggets pretty clearly. Uh, and I, I can understand why. So I, I do think that he will be better uh, with this group if given an offseason, if given a little bit of time to thrive. But the goal here, I, I've heard from various people that it's not just about, hey, uh, the, the $5 million contract, like that wasn't going to kill them in any way. But I, I do think that there's some idea that they need a trade chip if uh, they decide to go a different direction and signing Reggie Jackson to a minimum it's a little bit different than signing Reggie Jackson to a $5 million contract where you can then match salary. So I'm not as concerned about it. And the fact that they have Pickett and Colin Gillespie, if he signs that two-way again, uh, they, they are going to be just fine. That's a good point because obviously when you're talking about teams on the aprons of the new CBA, the salaries now have to match at a tighter rate than they did before. In fact, if you get over that second, it has to be dollar for dollar. Uh, so that's an interesting point that I had not considered. Thanks, Ryan. We're talking to Ryan Blackburn of Mile High Sports host of the Pickaxe and Roll podcast. Last one from me. Uh, obviously, you're talking about a championship team, but one of the things that was interesting was the additions last year made by Calvin Booth that were hard to ignore. We're moving away from some Tim Connolly guys in Will Barton, in Monte Morris, to bring in some different players, drafting players that would not have probably been Tim Connolly guys. As we talk about players like Najee and players like Chanchar, uh, is this going to continue? Is it unrealistic to think that down the road, uh, the players that were getting selected here by Calvin Booth, those are Calvin Booth's guys. And when you're talking about the depth of the team, he's probably going to be want to be the one who fills that roster out. Oh, there's no doubt. And I, I think that Calvin Booth has a strong belief in both Christian Brown and Peyton Watson as well. And it's one of the reasons why Denver wasn't more aggressive in finding other veteran options on the wing. They did bring in Justin Holiday, which I do think is a sneaky good signing. I and like a good it too. Back candidate. Like he just he makes a lot of sense to fill in a role having played next to DeMontis Sabonis for a lot of his career. Like he, he makes sense playing next to Nicole Jokic at times. Uh, but I do think that Christian Brown and Peyton Watson represent the gamble that he's making on the young talents, the athleticism, the defense, and believing that those guys can fill in a role sooner rather than later he's going to want to see those guys succeed and he's not going to want to block them. Uh, he did get Michael Malone, a, a veteran and Justin holiday. He did resign Reggie Jackson to kind of direct the bench a little bit to run some pick and roll. But I do think that the ultimate vision that Calvin Booth has is to have a bunch of high IQ guys. Not everybody has to play, but they all fill different roles and it's giving Michael Malone as many options as he can possibly handle uh, for any different situation that he needs. And, the great thing about having Christian Brown and Peyton Watson, you've got your athletic defenders. The great thing about having 
Hunter Tyson, you've got your versatile shooter. And Julian Strother, same thing. Uh, I, I think he's giving Michael Malone a nice uh, bag of tools to, to use at his disposal for this upcoming season, even if it doesn't look like it's the most talented group. That is just a taste of what you get on the Pickaxe and Roll podcast. Of course, you can check that out on mylifesports.com or find it right on YouTube either way. Ryan Blackburn is the man to follow. NBA Blackburn on Twitter. and Check out everything, including his article today over at milehighsports.com. The Nuggets back in action on Friday against the Miami Heat. Uh, suffice to say, in number league, there's not going to be any sort of uh, revenge there whatsoever, uh, especially if you're Peyton Watson, who has no need because he has a ring. Thanks so much for the time, Ryan. Thanks, guys. Looking forward to seeing uh, future trailblazer Jaime Jaquez Jr. Going to be great. Ryan <laughs> <laughs> joining us. And uh, I, I, I think he uh, that appears to be right as the uh, momentum for a Damian Lillard trade starts to continue as well. Uh, little by little, the the, uh, the the Blazers have made it clear they're willing to wait months to make this work because, you know, it's July. They don't play for a while. They're willing to play it out and willing to wait for more suitors. And now Miami has been more aggressive. Apparently, they have already found a third team to maybe take Tyler Hero. Now they may, they're may they also shopping Caleb Martin in an effort to find another third player. At a certain point, I mean, th- we just watched that Heat team. Yeah. You can strip off a few too many parts. And all of a sudden, you're looking like the Suns again. And if it, if if anybody gets hurt, yeah. ooh, you are taking some chances. And part of their, and again, the, these are terms that mean different things to different people, I suppose. But you, your identity, your culture, I don't know that you want to compromise that too much. And I, I'm not talking about Lillard not getting along with oh, Butler I mean, yeah. or out of buy or any, any of that stuff. Lillard's, Lillard's but I, I'm just saying, you. I, I think you, you hit it right on this point. The team that was in the finals. You, you can part of their culture was the guys who weren't drafted, mm-hmm. who scrapped and every day felt they had to do something to prove they belonged on the team. And Damian Lillard, is 33. By default, you bring him in. I'm a He's fan. He's expected to be the savior. I love I'm, Damian Lillard. I'm man. a fan, but he doesn't play any defense. He's never played much. Now he doesn't play any defense. In Miami, a guy who doesn't play defense, and he's 33 years old, that's not in keeping with the culture they've espoused for the better part Which of Which is decades. what's made them consistent in Maybe the last few longer. years, even when they've had comparatively lesser talent but uh for the nuggets if he goes to miami look they'll get him out of their own division they're not going to complain about that i know portland hasn't been dangerous as it could be in recent years but uh, damian lillard has done more than enough against the Denver nuggets over the years that uh you would not miss him no longer being oh i i don't think portland wants to trade him to a western conference team no i don't think he can risk that i think he's got to go to the east we will go back uh, to the Denver Broncos, take a look at that. The way the Broncos have drafted in the last two years, now that Sean Payton is unquestionably in control of the football operations, what does that mean for Payton? And looking back over the last two years, what is the difference between what Payton drafted and John Elway before him, and what has it meant for the Broncos? We'll kind of knock that around next on My Life Sports. Just shoot for the stars. If it feels right, then aim for my The Auto Messi. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar. 
presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Sandy, over the years, I have had beefs with John Elway's drafts. Uh, many Broncos fans, I think, have come to, to do that, and that's mainly because if I'm going to summarize it, I'm not going to nitpick, that his challenge and his objective was that he was basically looking for Hall of Famers with every pick. Sixth round, that's okay. He's gonna, you're gonna, we're gonna go try to find somebody. Third round, whatever. I'm gonna go try to get uh, guys who will be Hall of Famers with every pick, and, and that led him to occasionally landing the Connor McGoverns of the world or the Justin Simmons in the third round. I get that, but it also led them to picking Cody Latimer in the second, or uh, guys like Carlos Henderson and Brendan Langley in the third. Uh, that's it, a draft he'd certainly like to forget. I would like, I would presume so. Uh, you know, th- those kind of drafts come up in that regard when you're trying to swing for the fence with every pick and you're more likely to, to miss than hit. And as a result, then uh, your team lacks depth. And that really got to the Broncos. I think to a certain point in a position where they then had to hand it over to George Payton. Payton immediately impressed with his first draft in 2021, which, you know, we thought really top to bottom, give him what he had. Pretty solid. Sertan, Javante Williams, Quinn Miners, Baron Browning, Caden Stearns. Uh, all of these guys, if healthy, by the way, would all be starters this year. Uh, and later, by the fifth on, Jamar Johnson, Seth Williams, picked up Jonathan Cooper in the third. But fifth, sixth, and seventh, uh, you were hoping that maybe somebody could do something and, and that, that that's okay. But from the first three rounds, he was getting guys that could make his team. Last year, Nick Benito with the second. Uh, the jury's still out. He's only played 15 games. But guys that look like they're going to be, especially edge rushers, they tend to flash a little bit earlier. Uh, we talked about Greg Dulcich. I think a, a, in the third round, a worthy gamble is a prospect, but Damari Mathis in the fourth. That worked out. By and large, what Peyton has done when he drafts is when you're a rebuilding team, he seems like the right guy because he looks for, Elway was looking for the ceiling. What's the highest ceiling? And ignoring what the potential floor might be, certain cases. Hi, Carlos Henderson. No floor whatsoever, just a bottomless pit. Just boop, see ya. But in George Payton's case, he's looking for floors and maybe not so much of the ceiling. And it seems like between the two, the Broncos may need to find something a little different. And maybe that's where Sean Payton comes in, because as we know, um, George Payton is really no longer calling the shots on personnel. And if you want to ask anybody about it, it'll tell you, ask Sean Payton, who literally when the idea of the either the Jerry Judy or Cortland Sutton being traded, uh, Peyton said, and I'm only slightly paraphrasing, uh, George Peyton's job is to answer the phone and tell them no. Yeah. <laughs> it's not and, normally the way you describe the GM. That's more like you describe and, your secretary. And if and when he would ever say yes, it would only be under my instructions to say yes. <laughs> he would not do that on his own. Um, what was Elway's line? We don't draft all pros. We develop all pros. Right. And I, I think that reflected uh, a certain amount of hubris uh, that uh, they couldn't quite back up. Uh, certainly for maybe six of the last seven drafts, Elway had. Well, I mean, uh, maybe, help, help maybe, me out here. Maybe Elway's maybe draft essentially started in 2011, although at, at that point, um, Brian Sanders was still doing a lot of that as well but uh, but let's let's say okay so von miller all pro uh i don't believe Derek wolf was an all pro player nobody in the 2013 no i, I think it was a pretty good pick though pretty good pick uh bradley roby was not an all pro player uh pretty good though 
uh, no all pros in 2015. Justin Simmons, yes. Of course, that draft was headlined by Paxton Lynch. Um, Bradley Chubb, okay, sure. And that's it. Maybe Jerry Judy will be one one day. But that that's a span going back to the 2011 draft. And if you were to say guys that were at least pro, pro Bowl caliber players. Well, the, the, the Von 13 Miller, Derek and 15 Wolf, and Those were, by the teams. way, the top the top picks of each of those drafts for the Broncos. Bradley Roby, the top pick of the 2014 yeah, draft. Yeah, I, I, I understand. Not developing uh, a lot of no, all pros. But at the same time. Over, well over a decade now. Because they were hitting in free agency so often, mm-hmm. uh, Manning was the big one, right. and that spawned a number of uh, free agent signings that without Manning they probably wouldn't have been able to make. But uh, the, the the big move, the move that had to work, was the Manning free agent signing. Mm-hmm. And they were able to get by with draft pick disappointments. I, I would say about Latimer, though, he did turn into – a very valuable special teams player on the Super Bowl championship team. I mean, he was a Super Bowl champion Mm -hmm. and had a role on special teams. Yes, one of the few times the Broncos had special teams that were actually good in their Super Bowl winning Mm -hmm. year of 2015. But the 13 and 15 teams were built not so much through the draft, but through free agency. Right. That was not sustainable. And the bad drafting that took place in those Super Bowl years, came back to bite them. All the mistakes. It took away their special teams uh, quality, uh, took away their depth, and to an extent their star power, of of which now there there is none. The Broncos have two stars. Uh, We've talked about them this week, Justin Simmons, and Patrick Sutton. That's it. That's the. By list. the way, weird little uh, random tidbit. By the way, Justin Simmons drafted in 2016. Uh, one of five players in the league that are still in the league from that draft. The Paxton Lynch, Devontae Booker, Andy Janovich are not. Uh, but the Broncos' last selection of that draft is back on the Broncos in Riley Dixon when the Broncos drafted him in the seventh round. Now the Broncos punter. So sort of an interesting aside that how these things sort of can be circular at times. But when you look at these drafts here, you know, that, that 2022 draft, I, I see some ceiling here, but I, I, you're looking for stars. Is Nick Benito ever going to be a star? No. Is Greg Dulcich ever going to be a star? It's, you can't rule it out, but I'd say it's a, a star, given the tight ends across the league. I'm, a, I'm looking at the 15% tight ends. 15% chance. And, you know, I, I'm bullish I, I on Dulcich. I love that pick. People like, 15% chance he could ever be a top 10 guy? Uh, among the top 10 tight ends, Friermuth in Pittsburgh, uh, Dawson Knox in Buffalo, uh, they earned their stripes. They had to prove themselves. But honestly, I, I don't see Dulcich, at least not as an all-around tight end, being a match for really any of these guys. And some of the guys who, who fell down last year a little bit, Darren Waller and Kyle Pitts, both in the top ten but rated fifth and seventh respectively, that's injury related. And, and top three guys. That's And and the top three guys are Kelsey, Kittle, Kittle. and Andrews. And I think that's interesting, too, because it's been a while where 
the idea was that's okay. You can you can be the Shannon Sharp style. You're just a big receiver. Uh, quite frankly, right now, it's what Kyle Pitts is. That's what Darren Waller is. Doesn't yeah. mean they're not really good players. But those top three guys, uh, those guys are the whole package. They will they will blow you up on the blocks. They will bulldoze you. Uh, they do the whole work. They will pick up blitzers. When you're talking about the, the Kelsey Kittle and Andrews of the world, those guys do all of it. Yes. And we're starting to see more and more of the top tight ends and you now know some do all of it. It's turned into a good tight end, and now you see why he played ahead of Noah Fan at Iowa. Oh, T.J. Hawkinson, who's now playing for the Vikings, uh, had been drafted by Detroit, of course, and, and now playing for the Vikings. Kind of interesting because Detroit may have a better team than the Vikings now. Uh, they might. <laughs> uh, he'd possibly rather stayed in Detroit looking back. But in any case, he's one of the top ten tight ends without question in the league. But another guy that can do all of it. Yeah. Uh, it, it's yes, no, it yes. is. What that's you're why that's is, why he played ahead of Fant. Not that Fant long couldn't ago, do it. the best of the best was there was Gronkowski who could do it all, and everybody else. There was a difference. There was there was Gronk and everybody else. Now all of a sudden, you're seeing more and more tight ends bubble to the top that can do everything, that are elite receivers that block that do all of it. And if you want to have that diversified offense, and look at those offenses they run. I mean, you're talking about the Chiefs and the Niners and the Ravens. These are all Super Bowl contenders. They all, at least number one and number three in Kelsey and Andrews, have to deal with extremely mobile quarterbacks who do all sorts of unpredictable things on the field. And they have to be able to do adjust to that. And so, you know, could, could Dulcich maybe be a star? I guess, but it's a low percentage. Damari Mathis as a star? I don't see it. I think he'd be an NFL oh, no, starter. No, I, I, I think he'll be an NFL starter. And again, that's, that's a good example of your characterization of how Peyton drafts. Look, if you get I, NFL, I think there's always going to be a pretty high you find floor a starter with in the fourth round. That's a good pick. I'm not yeah. knocking it. It's a very, very good pick. You usually find your starters in the first three rounds. Uh, those are the picks when you spend it. You better find you better find a starter of the first. You better find a guy that starts basically immediately in the first. Uh, you probably better find a starter in the second that starts at least some point during his rookie year. And the third rounder better become a starter at some point in the first couple. Anything beyond that, uh, it's great if they become a starter. It's valuable if they make your team. Even if Damari Mathis turned out to be a rotational corner, that's an okay fourth pick, fourth round pick. It's a great fourth round pick now because the Broncos feel comfortable enough. They didn't even really uh, do much to enhance that position. Damari Mathis is the unquestioned starter across from Pat Sertan. I thought Williams in the during slot. the second half of the season last year that he was serviceable. I, I, As a rookie, I that's, saying not, that's not he bad. Was great. But he was much more. The first game was such a disaster. That's oh, kind of all people remember. With, with you know, flag after flag throw thrown at him for passing. The same one with Jerry Judy and the majority of his drops in whole season in right. one game. You got to throw game. it out. Right. I I do want to make this point though. Um, it, it it's interesting how guys develop reputations. Big Fangio is now the defensive coordinator for Mike McDaniel, mm-hmm. Miami. They have a chance to be pretty good this year. They were pretty good last year. They have a chance to be really okay. good this year. And the defense was not great, although they have some good individual talent mm-hmm. on the defensive side. They do. And there isn't a person in football who believes that Vic Fangio won't do a very good job with the Miami Dolphins defense. All right? But would you? I'm laying the premise here. Yeah, that's, that's, buy, that is buy the, the premise by the bit. That is the right? presumption. The old Johnny Carson. Yep. Line. The presumption okay. is that people will believe premise. that's that, right. That same Vic Fangio, 
as head coach of the Denver Broncos, had Patrick Sertan in 2021 rated as his fourth best cornerback going into the season. And now, according to ESPN's survey of executives and scouts and personnel people and coaches around the National Football League, through that survey, Patrick Sertan is number one. Even over Among the two guys in Miami, which, by the way, that's Xavier Howard and Jalen Ramsey. Or Ramsey's <laughs> number three, and Xavier Howard, if he isn't in the top ten, he's an honorable mention guy at the corner. That's a, that's a great corner pairing. So I, I'm just saying it's interesting how reputations develop, but it is true as a matter of fact that Patrick Sertan only got to start because of injuries. Mm-hmm during his rookie year. And we're talking about him being in the minds of some people, well, the best corner right now in the, the NFL. Minds of most okay. People. All right. Uh, if that's your take, would, that's a cross section of wouldn't necessarily yeah. be number one on, on my list, but it'd be somewhere in the top five without, without question. Vic Fangio didn't think he was one of the three best cornerbacks on the Denver Broncos going into the 2021 season. That's not that long ago. No. That's two years ago. Yes. And why hasn't that made a dent in Vic Fangio's reputation? The reason it hasn't is because nobody follows the Broncos. Mm-hmm. That's the advantage of being bad. That's the advantage of being a bad coach, which Vic Fangio was, a bad head coach, bad head coach, making judgments like that that nobody will ever pay any attention to except the people who are here and witness it. And I think I'm one of the few who ever bring it up. And people say, oh, well, no, that's not true. Well, it is true. It is true. It is true. Absolutely. He was their fourth cornerback. That was behind, by the way, Ronald Darby, Kyle Fuller, even Michael Ojemudia. Correct. And those were the three ahead of him. Those are three guys. He, he was him. in the mix with Isang Bassi and Bryce Callahan when Callahan was healthy. And Fangio, who worked, by the way, with Fuller and Callahan in Chicago, yes. clearly had those guys ranked again over Sertan. Yes. None of those players are better than Sertan now, and neither, none of them were better than Sertan. They, they weren't rookie. then. I, I mean, he was we, clearly we their want, best listen, we're, we're not personnel people, but we're out there every day during training camp. And it was a not not a lottie dot training camp. I'll give Fangio that. It was, it was, it was a much not. better training camp. He wasn't camp doing the Hackett to anything Hackett ran. <laughs> That's for sure. But but there wasn't a person out there that not one with any credibility whatsoever who didn't think Patrick Sutan was their best cornerback by a wide margin throughout the training camp period, whether it was on the practice field or in games. There was there was no doubt there that was he not. was the best cornerback, and, and that includes just because he was a rookie, didn't mean that he couldn't that be the best. By the way, some ex Broncos that I said watched some of those practice with and talked with, uh, it, it's, it's sort of an odd situation. But yeah, it's nice. In that case, it's nice to be on a loser, right? Because you just write oh, the organization must be bad. Uh, had nothing to do with me, but whatever. Good luck to Vic Fangio. He's got guys he's familiar with. He certainly has a lot of talent, and he's got a. He doesn't have to head coach. He can do exactly what he wants. Sit up in the booth and. Watch the defense. So, yeah, good for him. Works out. Uh, sometimes uh, you get lucky and get in the win. But when you are injured, you cannot get lucky. You have to go get that win. You need to talk to our friends at Burnham Law. BurnhamLaw.com. 7208 is the number. Hire the winner. That's what they do. 
There's locations all over the Front Range, Fort Collins, Boulder, Westminster, Cherry Creek, Colorado Springs, all the way north in Cheyenne. And the main personal injury office is right here where we are in the Denver Tech Center. When they're injured, uh, they can push for you to get your maximum recovery, whether that's by settlement or by trial. They're not worried about dragging it out. They want to get you the best settlement to for yourself so you can get right. So when you're hurt, don't hire someone off a billboard. Hire someone who will go fight for you. Don't worry about being entertained or something funny. Go get the winners. Those are the proven winners of Burnham Law. BurnhamLaw.com, 720-845-7001. Want to know what you think as well about this Broncos season upcoming? By the way, a training camp starts in less than two weeks. We're already getting that close to it. 303-831-1340 is the number. Let us know what you think as well. We'll be back more next on Miley Sports. Now more with Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. This is Sandy and Sean on Mile High Sports. Up in Boulder, of course, things are percolating for the Colorado Buffalo. Shadur Sanders, Travis Hunter, and Deion Sanders will represent CU at the uh, Big 12. Uh, Big 12. I got ahead of myself. <laughs> uh-huh. Freudian slip. Uh-huh. Uh, Pac-12 media day. As for now. For now. Uh, of course, uh, there has been uh, more than a few reports that CU has been dabbling uh, with that Big 12, taking a look at maybe returning to that conference, uh, which is trying to, of course, uh, reabsorb itself in many ways after Texas leaves after this season to go to the SEC. Times are a-changing, and there have also been reports that um, Deion Sanders himself would like to maybe be back in the Big 12, where he believes he might be able to recruit uh, a little more effectively. I don't know how much more effectively you can necessarily yeah, recruit right uh, now. But, he does like Texas, though. But there is, there is, uh, and that would be the idea, getting that market with Texas vacating and going to the SEC. You right. could theoretically scoop up uh, the guys that you know don't end up going there. Uh, there's something, and there is, by the way, a lot of a lot of smoke there. So uh, that is something to keep an eye out for. Um, the Pac-12 situation still limbo. No future TV deal yet. Um, you're talking about Media Day coming out a week from tomorrow. Uh, unless there is a very splashy new deal coming out in a week, none of those stories about uh, the Buffs or any of the other teams that are looking to perhaps move on uh, are going to be easily ignored. But I think now, Sandy, now the initial excitement has come and gone. And, and the giddiness among uh, sort of the, the, the Buffs fans and, and, and even the national media that got uh, ahead of themselves with, with Deion Sanders, the reality is starting to set in that this first year, at least, getting to a bowl game is going to be a challenge. And how do you evaluate a, a successful season if you don't get to a bowl, at the same time, this is a team that won one game. They were the worst Power they, 5 conference well, team in the country, and I'm not even sure that's a dispute. You know, you win four games, five games, you miss a bowl. How are you going to evaluate that? Is that still considered a successful season? And the thing is, I don't know if anybody really knows yet. The most trusted college football evaluator to me, year in and year out, and he puts out a terrific publication, and uh, you've had him on, I've had him on, mm-hmm. 
uh, various programs down through the years is Phil Steele. It, it's basically college football Bible. If you're looking for a preseason publication that is comprehensive, that, that covers every team, whether they be uh, SEC, Big Ten, mm-hmm. mid-major, lower mid-major, if there is such a thing. This is the guy to go to. So I, I got my copy. You got yours today, and you were very kind. I went shopping. Uh, you went shopping today. <laughs> uh, on page 190, there is the Colorado page. Uh, pages 190 and 191, in case you were skipping through. Don't do it in the bookstore and be jerks about that. No, just go buy it. it. Just go buy it. And it, it's a great resource. It, it really is. I mean, the, the schedules are listed. The point spreads from past years. I think they take the last uh, four years. Uh, actually, last five. I, I missed 2020 because it was so short. <laughs> they, they, they take the last five years. Okay. And his synopsis of CU's situation is not only one with which I agree, but it's based on much more thorough and much deeper analytical thrust than we tend to provide here. See, last year was the first team of 132 in both. 32 years. To open 0-3 and with all three losses by 25 points or more. (sighs) It almost wiped some of that from my memory, but thanks. Okay, but listen. But my point being that anything would have been better than all of this. Uh, and after an zero and five start and a twenty three point loss to Arizona, Carl Durrell was let go, having gone three and fifteen versus FBS teams after that four zero start. Colorado upset Cal, then lost the last six games by thirty four and a half points per game. They faced four straight top 15 teams for the first time in school history. CU was not only 1-11, but minus 229 yards per game. Over the last 17 years, CU has been to just three bowls and lost them all with their only winning seasons in 16 and 20, which is 4-2, and two, okay, mm-hmm. because of uh, the COVID lockdown. They've gone just 5-21 and 21 in the last 26 games. Deion Sanders had great success at Jackson State and brought in the best class of transfers in the country, so this team is brand new. And he's the fourth full-time head coach in Boulder since 2018. If you read my position write-ups, you will see that I feel each position has improved this year, including special teams. Sure. But how could it not be? (laughs) I mean, last year had to be rock bottom, right? Right. Now... They were woeful last year, so you'd expect improvement, but Sanders did a nice job landing talent through the portal after it was tough to bring in transfers the previous two years. This team is an unknown quantity. This is the gist of what he is saying. No sense that they're anything but an enigma, but one thing I do know is that there are very few soft spots on the schedule starting at TCU in Fort Worth on September 2nd, which will make contending in the Pac-12 or even a bowl game unlikely in the first year of this total rebuild. 
I don't have any, total I don't rebuild. Have any Just if you didn't hear any of the other words or didn't want to pay attention to it, total rebuild. The last two words of his CU analysis. Total rebuild. Remember that. Total rebuild. You can say that and there's an argument to be made. He did a better job than anybody else at the transfer portal. But it's still a total rebuild. And it, he did better than I imagined he could do in the transfer portal. Yeah. I'll, I'll concede that. He recruited very well. All that is fine, but it is a total rebuild. You don't go from one win to eight wins, nine wins, which I have heard people forecasting, and Deion Sanders yeah. hasn't, over the last few months anyway, exactly discouraged he hasn't, he hasn't that kind of talk. Right. He hasn't co- thrown cold water over it, although he did, at his introductory press conference, uh, reserve some time to explain that, uh, the improvement would not happen as quickly as some people might hope. And now I think Deion Sanders might have been referring to himself when he said that. Possibly. Possibly. <laughs> I, you know, the deep down, Deion Sanders knows how hard this will be. And I'm not talking about going from one win to five wins, four wins, five wins. They'll be able to do that. I suspect, even even with a relatively difficult schedule. But it is a total rebuild, and it's not going to go. Six is the ceiling. It is. We talk about floors and ceilings. Six is the ceiling. It ain't the floor. And I think for too many people who have gotten caught up in the excitement and understandably perhaps gotten carried away, six wins to nine wins is the range. Uh Uh-uh. Four to six wins is the range. It is. Realistically, it is. And, Four and it, to six wins is the range. When you They're going to lose at TCU. This. I think they'll actually beat Nebraska. I do, too. And they'll beat Colorado State. So they'll be two and one after three games. But then you've got Oregon on the road. You've got USC. At Arizona State, winnable. Stanford here, winnable. At UCLA, probably not. Oregon State here, homecoming, that's winnable. Uh, Arizona, maybe winnable. At Washington State, at Utah, uh, I don't know about that. Yeah. So it, you, you're, you're really struggling to get to 6-6. Six and six. That's the point. I think that's so. That's the ceiling, uh, it, it, not it, it, it the is. Floor. It really is, and I think you have to be realistic about that, and, and I think you have to be able to step back and say that the process – at this stage, is more important than the results. That said, better to beat Nebraska. That's all. I don't. I don't care. You give, I don't care which four you win. Just make one of them Nebraska. That's that's the uh, that's the old school buff in me. That's all. I that's need. a home opener on works, September. 9th, works for me. By the way, it's all I need. It's all I need. Just give me. Just beat the Huskers. It's very simple. <laughs> Straightforward for me. We will be back tomorrow with more Cody Rourke of Biolife Sports. Will join us to talk about the Denver Broncos. We continue to get closer to training camp there. Thanks to Ryan Blackbird for joining us and updating us on the latest with the Nuggets Summer League. The results aren't going the way they wanted, but again, process over results, and the Nuggets are looking for players that they can evaluate at the back end of the roster. A little bit different understanding. The Rockies will be in action tomorrow as well, and uh, and um, yeah, well, we might mention them. Who knows? It'll be a Friday. It'll be a fun Friday, especially if you're waiting in line for Taylor Swift, so you got nothing else to do. Check out the Mile High Sports app. That way you can listen to us in your pocket whenever you want. Clear, 
convenient, and to catch everything else that we do at Milo Sports all at the same time. Thank you for listening. We'll be back tomorrow. Andrew Detmer in the booth making everything sound and look good. For Sandy Clough, I'm Sean Drotart. We'll be back. Time for us to step aside, but you want to keep it right here on My Life Sports. Are you ready? Hey. Is you ready? Ready. You say you ready. Oh. Whole squad ready. Ready. Is you ready? Oh. Are you ready? Ready.